what what's going on in the entertainment world? I feel like I saw something recently that was exciting. Um, besides all the Disney remakes of everything, um, I said that was exciting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the Joker movie is still getting oh, a ton I think of that's buzz. What I, that's what it was. Yeah. The Joker movie. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. I know that some people are, there's some talk online about, Oh my God, people just need to shut the fuck up and watch a movie. Why can't, why can't, I why know. does everything need to be a big I didn't deal e- now? I didn't even make my point. I know, <laughs> but I, I know what you're going to say. Cause I saw you. Sorry. I interrupted you. My bad. Continue. Well, it's all just about, you know, the glorification of a villain and if they're doing, and I'm just like, first off, the mass public hasn't even seen this yet. It's a fucking movie. And like, let's be honest, we're living in a world where everyone listens to true crime podcasts and is obsessed with Mindhunter. If somebody goes and watches that movie and becomes the Joker, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll change my mind. (laughs) I'll admit that I was wrong, but yeah, either way, we're not here to talk about Joaquin Phoenix, although no, to be but honest, that would be could. a good good one to cover in the future. Maybe. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to cover all the different iterations of the Joker mm, because yeah. there's been a lot of yeah. how people kind of interpret the comic. Definitely. Some better than others, but um, we're here to talk about someone super relevant and like always in current news. You mm-hmm. know, even today. Well, you say that sarcastically but but in all honesty yeah so we're talking about Shakespeare again today our main episode was about uh, his play Twelfth yeah. Night and cool. today we thought we would turn into uh, a conspiracy theory podcast yeah, a one time only situation and actually it was so fascinating to research this fascinating but upsetting saddening oh uh, yeah a, little, a lot yeah we'll, we'll get into some, it some thoughts that yeah I'll get into later but I'm excited. Yeah, this will be interesting. I mean, half the articles that we read for this, I mean, ha- were from this year. Mm-hmm. So it's still being written about the yeah. the main a questions lot, a are lot were from the ones I'm going to talk about were from like June. Yeah. So. I read some from July. I mean, this is all going to kind of revolve around Shakespeare and if William Shakespeare is uh, a man, a woman, one person, three mm-hmm. people, uh, a pseudonym, you know, there's all these questions around the authorship yeah. of William Shakespeare. I've definitely work. come to a conclusion for myself, which I'll I wait, have as well. I'll wait until the end, but I, I'm excited. I have like the, the regular shit just kind of going into what people believe and why. And then there's certain every group there's like there's like a, a group and then there's subsets of that group that fall into well i believe this person was actually okay. shakespeare and their reasoning is, it, it reads like a shakespeare play like it just kind of blows my mind yeah um so i'm excited well we kind of picked two different conspiracies to go with yeah you are talking about i'm doing mainly the conspiracies around who the author was and this isn't that multiple people are authors. I'm going to focus mainly on three of the main contenders and what those groups of people believe and why they believe that they were writing under the name of Shakespeare. So that's kind of what I'm covering is maybe a little bit more overarching. Yeah. I'm going to be, and I'm going to be, um, focusing on whether Shakespeare was a woman possibly or more accurately, whether 
a woman, whether Shakespeare took credit for a woman's writing. Ooh, I haven't heard that take on it. Because um, I think it's pretty well known that Shakespeare was a guy. He was a historical figure. He was. There are documents showing that he was alive. He existed. Doing things. Yeah. He existed. He so was born. He died. You can't really dispute that fact. No. We should set that out from the beginning. Shakespeare was a man who lived in the late yes. 1500s, who was an actor yes. at the Globe Theater. Those we all know and mm -hmm. cannot be disputed. Yes. Well, I would argue that some of these other things couldn't, can't be disputed either, but... But for different th reasons. For those things for sure are fact that we know. That we know. Yes. yes. Which is so interesting to me because, like I said, I'm doing people who are like, he didn't, he wasn't the author, it was a pseudonym. And I was like... And, but he was a real person. <laughs> like it wasn't a name that they yeah. pulled out of a hat. Yeah, definitely. So it's interesting. And they're like, well, that was just a name and it happened to blah, blah, around the same. I was like, man, man. Anyway, we'll get to that at the end. Is it, a, who wants to go first? You can go ahead. Okay. Mine's a little bit more general. I think you're going to get into like some really interesting theories. Okay. So the main group of people I'm going to be talking about, and this is kind of the larger, um, group of people who um, don't agree with the idea that Shakespeare is actually Shakespeare mm -hmm. and they call themselves or have been called anti-Stratfordians because Shakespeare was born in Stratford upon Avon. Right. So they're saying they're anti that. Not the catchiest name, but you know, they're not the writers here. So they're anti him having they're just, been born and they're just anti everything. And they thought that, okay, I don't, I don't know why they thought that was a catchy name, but this movement came about in the 19th century. So the 1800s before this in, you know, the 200 years from when Shakespeare passed to when this started coming about, no one questioned it. It wasn't really something yeah, that came up. That was one very intriguing point that 200 I, years and no one was like, yeah, you know, questioning that this was a, a person with valid talent. Yeah. And a, a, a big thing to know is that this was coming up at a time when the classes in England were really starting to, to clash. Mm -hmm. And so, and a lot of what mm. their evidence oh, is, okay. is class related. So you're going to see like, it's very ah. much a lot. Some of, I found a lot of the arguments very much based in like classist. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like ideology of like this person was from a lower class. How the fuck is yeah. he the most yeah, the most well-known well-known author author in the world. It, well, I don't know about the world, but I would certain, say certainly in Western culture. West, okay, there you go. Western culture. Let's. Yeah, I would agree. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna assume to know. Fair enough. The rest. Yeah. I'll put my broad brush away. I won't paint with it anymore. But uh, so, like you touched on, a lot of it stems from his class and. Before I go into kind of point by point what they bring up, there were over in the time frame from like the late or the 1800s to now, there have been over 80 candidates that people have kind of thrown in the ring of like, this I is think, who Shakespeare is. I think I saw there's a Wikipedia list. Yeah, there's a list. People that have been brought up mm -hmm. as could have been. And I'm only I'm only focused on three of them. And those three I'll get to later. But and I'm, they, I'm really only going to focus on one. So. Okay, so I'm focusing on Francis Bacon, 
Christopher Marlowe and Edward Devere. And Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon. Really? Yeah. He's one of the candidates? Mm-hmm. Sir Francis Bacon. Okay. He is indeed. Uh, so let me just put this out there before we dive into their quote unquote evidence for why Shakespeare isn't Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. According to any Shakespearean academic, anyone who's writing like published works about Shakespeare, they have a method like anyone, like a scientist would for determining authorship and authenticity. Sure. And that is for that time, because we have to remember this is the late 1500s, early 1600s. Records are rare no matter who you're researching. Yeah, for sure. Unless you have... Uh, a personal diary or letters well, that were saved. Especially when you're talking about Shakespeare coming from a lower class. Right. There's going to be even less documentation, presumably. Exactly. So they would, in order to determine his work as his work, would be the title pages with his name and signature, um, as well as testimony of that time by fellow poets and writers and historians of that time. Mm-hmm. All of that is what they would use for any author that they're researching during that time, not just Shakespeare and his legitimacy. So that's kind of how they go about it, using the documentation that they can. Despite that, the anti-Stratfordians point to cover-ups, conspiracy theories, and a general lack of evidence being their main source of evidence. Wait, so they're basing their conspiracy theory on conspiracy theories? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, you just wait. Okay. So the main point of contention is that Shakespeare was born in Stratford-upon-Avon, which was um, about, you know, four hours outside of London at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really small town and um, it was filled with a lot of working class, lower class people. So they thought, how could this lower class, you know, man have grown up with, you know, what they supposed was a complete lack of education and know anything at all about the Royal court and the inner workings of, um, you know, the Elizabethan and Jacobean era and all the politics that go into that. So they're basically like, he's a country bumpkin who sold sheep and he's not high class enough to be a creative genius. So going into that class is bullshit, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and okay. Yeah. It's interesting. His family was too poor. It's interesting to connect that to, when when it was happening came, when these theories came about mm-hmm. absolutely because the further away that y- you get from it you know the more you see people writing about it yeah the more it comes up so a little bit about his background that we didn't get into on the main episode is his father john was a glove maker but he was also mayor of the town at one point oh okay and his mother was a daughter of the local gentry Um, However, they both signed their names simply with a mark, which two people who are anti-Stratfordians take to mean that they were illiterate. And so was Bill. Um, uh, There was also no proof that his children were literate because there's no signatures or anything by them. Some of them also just signed with a mark. I'm sorry. If you look at my signature, it's like one big letter and then a line. That was one thing that. I, what I, yeah, I, I saw something that that as evidence that Shakespeare may not have written the plays was that his daughter, there was some signature from his daughter somewhere and it was the mark mm-hmm. instead of, and there were, somebody was like, well, why would Shakespeare, this guy who's written all these, um, brought all these really strong female characters into life why would he not make um, the education of his daughter a priority? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah. if you if you're thinking of the 1500s, I'm sorry, nobody gave a shit about women. I don't well, care who you are. And you're drawing some wild conclusions. Wild, and off of one some, signature, off of a lot of assumptions. Yeah, that's maybe the thing. she was just like, "Fuck it, that day I don't want to sign my name all fancy. I'm just gonna boom." That's what it. happened to me. Yeah, I'm f- fully literate. Every time I go sign anything. I'm just like squiggly line. We're done. We're done. Test, you know, yeah, no one's going to test it. Exactly. Yeah. Either way. So that's, that is kind of their main thing was like, well, he couldn't read, he couldn't write. There also was, um, a lack of documentation, which we talked about in the main episode, as well as diaries and letters that we, that they use against him. They're like, well, he doesn't have an education because there's no records of a schooling, but, in reality, all of the records for all of the students during Shakespeare's time are lost. They're not just his. They're not, they're not, you know, singling him out or hmm. things like that. So they point to a lack of documentation as proof that, well, he wasn't the person he says he is. They also point to the fact that he didn't have books in his home. Yeah. As a, as a sign that he was illiterate, which I was reading and during the time, being a writer was a really dangerous profession. Really? Especially, well, and they make this case for their candidates. It's like, well, they couldn't write under their real name because it's so dangerous if you're part of the upper class to write about politics, you could die. Hmm. Especially when you're bringing up political points that are very much opposite to popular opinion. Well, yeah, and then if you think about Shakespeare, like reading certain books would be dangerous. Having evidence of that might be dangerous. And if you think about Shakespeare's writings, they're very progressive for the time. Like, yeah, I would say. Would you disagree with that? There are parts of it, and this is something else that I was getting to. That in his writings, there are. People say that, okay, first off, he writes about the court. He has no knowledge of the court. Mm -hmm. And he also tends to make um, like uh, commoners really dumb, which would go against his upbringing. Right. So there is that point. They say, well, why would he make a fool of his own, you know, quote unquote people? Mm -hmm. So despite the fact that kind of what we've laid out is essentially an argument based on a lack of evidence. Mm, Right. Which shouldn't support any argument. No. Um, there are a ton of famous people who subscribe to this belief and they include Walt Whitman, Mark, wow. Mark Twain, really Helen Keller. Yeah. I saw that one. Sigmund Freud. He's kind of all fucked up though. So it makes sense. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, huh. Orson Welles, who is a writer I enjoy very much. And, um, a recent article that you found that I read was the late U S federal Supreme court justices, Stevens and Scalia were both anti-strike Fordians specifically. They would be in the camp believing that, um, Edward Devere 17th Earl of Oxford was the true writer. Interesting that a lot of other authors are in authors. that group. So Scalia, Justice Scalia, in his time, went so far as to state in a law review article about his belief that Shakespeare wasn't who he said he was. Huh. In a law review article. I just find that interesting how that uh, makes its way into legal documentation. Uh, so like I've said many times, and we've pointed on this, their, their quote unquote evidence is 
there's a lack of evidence to support that Shakespeare is who he said he was essentially. But their arguments for their individual candidates is all about taking a conclusion and finding evidence to match it. It's not the typical, here's the evidence. This is the the most common sensible conclusion. And so that's where I find fault in it. And so what they do is they essentially find someone of the time and they say, this person lived this life and these parallels to this, even though other things don't line up, but like, and that is uh, exactly what, how a conspiracy theory kind of forms. Exactly. Look at, look at any other conspiracy theory going on today. I mean, the flat earth, flat earthers. I'm going to call, I'm going to throw climate change deniers into that camp because in my opinion, that is a conspiracy theory. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you have a pre, you have an idea Mm -hmm. and then you find things that support your idea. And then you ignore things that that don't contradict it. Yeah. Well, yeah. well let's get into some of the specifics then of Ooh, these, okay. some of these people. Strap in, because my God, is this kind of ridiculous? And it brought me so much joy. That's to read. the thing about conspiracy theories is they are kind of fun because they are. I see why people love them. You do give it like a mystic things of mysticism, and like it sometimes it's like crazy to think about like, Oh shit, that would be insane if that actually were true. Exactly. Right. There's but it's a, like, a fun to it and entertainment. Yeah, and value. I think if you approach them in the sense of like entertainment and exactly. don't take it seriously, then I have no problem. With and it. I view this as pure entertainment and I'm going to share it with the world. All right. Let's dig in. So the first one, the first person that was kind of the major player thrown in as an alter- an alternative to William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call him Bill. I've read a lot about him. I feel close to him right now. So I'm going to call him Bill. William. I'm going to call him Bill. Oh, I thought you said that. I thought you were saying that was the main alternative to William Shakespeare. It was a guy named Bill. Okay. No, it's Bacon. Francis Bacon. Okay. And he was a philosopher, an essayist, and a scientist. Right. And Which is how I know of him. Yes. Uh, I feel like he's a common name. Like maybe you can't place him right away, but you're like, Sir Francis Bacon sounds real. But I think it's his kind of scientist philosophy kind of. Yeah. Uh, background. So uh, to put it in common terms, why he had to write under a pseudonym was because he needed to still fit in with the cool kids because he was uh, an upper class gentleman, a part of the Royal court. And so if he were to be found out to be a writer for the theater, which was thought of as a very lowly form of entertainment, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he would be Wait. Kicked out. During the 1500s, absolutely. Okay. Comedies and tragedies and men dressed as women. Whole number one in like all of the theories then, if writing for theater is a lowly thing, why would people be surprised that a commoner is doing it? See, this is why we keep you around. You're so smart. I know. I know. Because he did it too good, Jared. <laughs> He's too stupid to be oh that good. God. All right, let's keep going. So... So that, that point doesn't make any sense. And there, there is a belief of people who believe it is Sir Francis Bacon said that because cryptic ciphers were very popular at the time, um, supporters have gone through Shakespeare's work and have been like, I found a cipher that Bacon left pointing to a secret history of the Royal court. Would you like to know what this This is? This is some national treasure shit right here. Oh, Oh, wait, do you want to know what the secret history is? Okay, I do feel like this would make a pretty good movie. Honestly, yeah, it would. I get it. So Bacon, 
through his ciphers in William Shakespeare's work. Mm-hmm. Wait, told, so well, by William Shakespeare's work, you mean his work? By his work. Okay. Under the name of, of Bill sure. Shakespeare. Reads that Bacon is the true son of Queen Elizabeth. Who... So now... So now he's a prince. He's not only William Shakespeare. He's also... He's, he's a... The son of Queen Elizabeth. He's a, he's a son of Queen Elizabeth wow. who she had with Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester. They were married in secret. They had two kids. He was one of them. So he is the true heir of the throne, but cannot take his seat on it. And so through his plays, he's been telling the world in ciphers that he is the true king of England. However. And and what are these ciphers supposed to? I tried to look into them. And honestly, would you like to? Here's here's what it is. In 1957. Uh, cryptographers William and Elizabeth Friedman published the Shakespearean ciphers examined a study of all the ciphers laid out by the Baconians. The, the followers of Bacon is really Shakespeare. And they showed that the method that these people used was very unlikely to have been used by the author of the works, considering that none of the ciphers were valid. None of them matched. Who are these people that are sitting around Combing through shit. To decipher William Shakespeare's plays, like codes in William Shakespeare's play. People with a lot of fucking time on their hands. I guess. So that is Sir Francis Bacon. Moving on, the next big name and contemporary writer of the time is Christopher Marlowe. So he was considered the best playwright in England before Shakespeare hit the scene. Okay. So why the fuck would he use a pseudonym then? Oh, strap in. There's so many reasons why. So, it is widely known that Marlowe was killed in a tavern brawl Mm -hmm. soon after Shakespeare began writing in 1593. So, about six years after. And they say the first work attributed to Shakespeare was published one to two weeks following Marlowe's death. Would you like to know why he was killed? Or why people think he was killed. Sure. So the theory goes that Marlowe was a government spy and his death was faked for political reasons. Hence his need to write spies now under a pseudonym. I feel like I got transported to a, you know, 16th century bond movie. uh, Okay. Actually, that would be pretty sweet. Honestly. Yeah. What, what is the, uh, or is there any reasoning behind him? Yes. Let me get into it for you. Yes. So, However, here's what we were going to go into. So they believe he faked his death. These people who are Marvolians. Oh, so he faked his death. He didn't. They're saying he faked his death. People who believe he is Shakespeare. Because he was dead. He now had to be like, yeah, I got it. I got it right. I got it right. under new name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, however, it is documented by the Queen's personal coroner and 16 jurors at an inquest two days after he passed that Marlowe was indeed dead. And there is a complete lack of evidence of him living on afterwards. But here is what happened to him. Mm-hmm. He was stabbed above the right eye by his acquaintance, wow. Ingman Frizzer. The inquest into his death, like I said, was two days after. And it was deemed that Ingram was acting in self-defense and was released. However, scholars today believe that that is a lie, that it was deliberate murder. And Based on... Based on the fact that Ingram and two other people who were there, Robert Poley and Nicholas Skyers, had been known to be in the pay of the government as spies. 
And it is also widely accepted that Marlowe was being employed as a secret agent for Sir Francis Walsingham. So he actually was a spy. So he actually was trying to collect information for somebody in the aristocracy. And he was in trouble at the time because it was rumored that he was attempting to convert people to atheism. And many people were hung during that time for printing and distributing pamphlets about they're not being a God. So it was like the red scare of the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Gotcha. Yeah. So that stuff is generally accepted. Like, okay, he was being paid by somebody right. to gather information. Yeah. These two other people were known. Hence why they believe it was a deliberate murder. Kind of blows my mind that they have that much information. I know. That they can confirm. I think, well, because Sir Francis Waltham, um, uh, sorry, his last name is a mess. Walsingham had a lot of letters and documentation because he was of the upper class. So Mm -hmm. they had letters, they had diaries, they had everything like that. That makes sense. So that's where they get a lot of this information. So those things are generally accepted as true as well as him being dead. They like, he died because of this. He didn't fake his death because of this. So there's also people who are like, oh, they, they took the body of a man they hung the day before and then used that to as Marlowe's body and then he escaped out the back. And but well, what if they faked the coroner's report, Marissa? There is evidence that they're, the jurors were all connected to Sir Walsingham and that they might have all lied. But see, this is the thing. But that's like 16 people. This is the people. thing about these conspiracy it's theories. spirals though, and spirals and spirals. Is that we don't have... You could say... You could make the, you could say that say oh what if it was faked but like you have no evidence of that exactly it so, was confirmed by the queen's personal coroner yeah so Marlowe he fucking died like sad he was very talented um but you know what that's the spy life though that's the spy life. I mean you know what? what did You're he expect right. yeah you you have to go in knowing that your life's always on the line yeah exactly yeah so I would say the most common and widely touted true author of Shakespeare is Edward de Vere. So his name was thrown into the ring. This is the one I saw. Yes. Only in the 1920s did his name come up. So almost a hundred years after the whole questioning began. And here are the reasons why he was an art lover who held favor in the Royal court and therefore would also need a pseudonym Mm -hmm. to write because gentlemen cannot be involved in the theater. It's too lowly. So the parallels are that 14 of Shakespeare's plays are set in Italy and Devere happened to travel there in 1575. I would mention that is... So the man traveled there once. Mm-hmm. His early poems are dedicated to Henry uh, Weir Thelsley, who was considering marrying Devere's daughter at the time, I guess. Shakespeare's early poems were? Shakespeare's. Okay. He was only considering marrying the daughter. I feel like that means he didn't. Yeah. Bummer. If they use the word considering, yeah. that's probably a... Yes. And it is also stated that Shakespeare was heavily influenced by Arthur Golding's translation of Ovid's Metamorphoses. Um, and Golden lived with Devere for a short while. Hmm. Which is interesting. I give them that. Yeah. I mean... But also, I feel like a lot of people probably read that. Yeah. That's, that's well, the hard that's thing. A, again, that's the thing is like, if you have, if you're trying to support a preconceived notion, you can probably come up with a few facts to support that. Right? Like, oh, he went to Italy in 1575 yeah. and I'm sorry, it's kind of just a common 
setting for tragedies and comedies is Italy. Well, and I assume being in, in Europe, people in England, it wasn't that uncommon to maybe have traveled to Italy. Right. But I think it also goes back to, well, De Vere could afford to go there. Yeah. Shakespeare was too poor. But I also read that he okay. was an actor. So I, have right? a, I will have an interesting point to add. I'll have an interesting point to add to that. Well, it come to, it comes around. Everyone anyways. talks about his lowly upbringing, but really, he was an actor for Lord Chamberlain's Men, mm-hmm. which meant that he was also part owner of the Globe well, Theater. Yeah, and he ended up with he ended up being pretty wealthy, did he? Not? Yeah, he he was able because he was part owner because he was an actor because his writing was well received. He was able to think, kind of move up the social ladder a little bit. I think I read he was at his death. I think the second richest person in Stratford. I, I don't know. I did not read that. That That's something I saw. I, again, it's really hard to tell what the accuracy of some of these articles. Right. Especially with documentation that's 400 years old. I mean, yeah, trying right. to source it. Anyways, like the point is he had money. He, he ended his life, I think, well off. Right. Um, I just found, I found a quote from an article that I was reading um, it's an interview with the website I was reading off of thoughtco.com from um, a writer, Jonathan Bond, who wrote the book, The DeVere Code, which is a total ripoff of The Da Vinci Code, another book that is just basically conspiracy theory porn. Yeah, but at least that doesn't... It doesn't claim tr- to be true. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he says, I suggest that Edward DeVere, 17th Earl of Oxford, wrote the sonnet and the dedication at the beginning of the sonnets was a puzzle created for the recipient of the collection of poems. Why is there always They love be, ciphers, patterns, yeah. word plays. Why does there always have to be some like like extra puzzle to this? Like uh, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. So and and Edward De Vere is the one who both Justice Stevens and Justice Scalia believed to be the true Shakespeare. Okay. And so those people who follow that, that belief system. That is very worrying to me, the Supreme Court justices. Oh, they are called Oxfordians, the ones who believe that Edward de Vere was Shakespeare. And Justice Stevens received and accepted the award as Ox- Oxfordian of the year from this group of people who believe. Mm-hmm. And Scalia never got it. And I think he might have been a little bitter about it. Oh, I'm sure he got plenty of other awards in his life. I mean, he was a federal Supreme Court justice. Yeah. That's a pretty... Yeah. Pretty big gold fucking star. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my fun facts, my tids and bits about Shakespeare. As you can tell, I'm leaning more towards the evidence that we have, not the circumstantial conjecture that people like to spout off lends to the belief that a common man educated in one way or another, there was a primary school in his town. Yeah. Where he was probably educated. There's just no yeah. surviving records. Right. And he worked his way to become an amazing writer. Possibly. Or. Or. or hear me out here. Oh. It's pretty convincing stuff. It was a woman behind the whole thing. I mean, tell he, me more. Okay. So most of this is going to come from an article that came out recently in The Atlantic by Elizabeth Winkler. And article simply titled was Shakespeare a woman mm-hmm. and gotcha. um, yeah I think this was from June <clears throat> and her main point is her main point of contention with 
Shakespeare being the author basically Mm -hmm. of all these works is how he was able to write female characters and relationships so effectively and accurately. Like where did this insight come from? He liked the ladies. That was where she kind of set off from and then gave a a bunch of evidence. And I got to say it was pretty compelling. Definitely roped me in when I was reading it. I was like, holy shit, this makes a lot of sense. So right. let me just go through some of this. She posited, posited that Shakespeare could be a pseudonym that was used by a woman as in Elizabethan England. That was one thing. It's a little bit convoluted. Yeah, women were forbidden from the theater and yes. were limited in their writings to like a couple different like religious writing and translations, I guess, at the time. That's all that they could write, I think essentially, largely. Or publish? Yeah. That, okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of... I guess she she described it as that's what most women were confined to anyways. We know Shakespeare was a, a an actual person. Yeah. How could it be a pseudonym? Exactly. Because it's a real fucking person. Yeah. But so the, the person that she focuses on the most as being possibly the actual real author of a lot of these works is a woman named Amelia Bassano. And she was actually the first English woman who wrote as a professional poet. Oh, Um, wow. And um, there's a lot of speculation that she was the dark woman described in his sonnets. Oh. So that she was inspiration for that. Okay. Um, She was the inspiration or she was writing herself. Like if we're, if we're supposing that she's the writer, she's writing herself into these sonnets as the dark woman. Yeah. So if if you're, if you are in the camp that believes she was the author, then she would be writing herself. Right. But a lot of actual Shakespearean, um, uh, scholars, scholars. Thank you. You're welcome. Believe that she might actually be the inspiration for the dark woman in his sonnets. So they're insinuating that he knew her. Yes. Well, that is a well-known fact. He did know her. Oh. So, uh, and one other little tidbit that was in this article I found interesting. So in 2018 at the Globe Theater, they actually had a play called Amelia that was in part of, in this play, um, she accuses Shakespeare of plagiarizing her words for the play Othello. In, in, this is in the play. This is in a 2018 play at the Globe Theater. So I, I just thought it was oh. interesting that they were kind of running with some of the speculation in a play. I mean, obviously it's a work of fiction, but, but to actually still. have that in being yeah. played out in the theater that Shakespeare owned yeah. was interesting to me. Wow. Okay. Um, but she discusses, so she, she was talking about this author of this uh, article was discussing how for the time, she says, Shakespeare's life is really well documented, but there were no records of him as a writer. So there are more than 70 documents that exist of him as an actor, a shareholder in the theater company, a money lender, and a property investor. And she, this is part of the thing, she kind of tries to frame Shakespeare as this dodgy character. Hmm. So she talks about how he dodged taxes and was fined for, um, for hoarding grandeur in a shortage and how he pursued petty lawsuits and was subject to some restraining orders. And 
so basically she describes him and this is a actual quote from the article as a mercenary impresario of the Renaissance entertainment industry. Hmm. And so, so, so see her whole argument was that there's just no document. There's a lot of documentation about of him, but none of him is actually in a, as a writer. Interesting. Yeah. And then if right, people are like, Oh, Shakespeare's not real. This person It's like, so, no, no. Like there's obviously many documents. Yeah. So she sets him up as the kind of this person of dodgy character. And then she goes on to say that there were a lot of contemporaries of Shakespeare who suggested that his name was put on work that he didn't actually write. Oh, so people were using his name to lend, you know, credibility to their work? No, no, no. Other way around. He was stealing. She was, she was saying that people were saying, were people of his time, contemporaries of Shakespeare were saying oh. that he was stealing other people's work and putting oh. his name on it. Oh. So she points to, um, Robert Greene, who in 1951, um, I guess wrote of the practice underhand brokery of poets who get other people to ascribe their name to other people's works basically. So she kind of sets Shakespeare up to be this guy of not great character. And there's people at the time discussing, um, an upstart who is stealing other people's works basically. So like a newbie who's just trying to get into the scene by steal, by plagiarizing is yeah, what they're saying. Okay. Um, and then she brings into the discussion, the classes stuff. So mm-hmm. how did this guy, this low class guy without wide ranging, ranging knowledge of a lot of the stuff that goes into his plays, like knowledge of Italy or Elizabethan court or, you know, all these different languages and law and astronomy and music. How did he get this information in the first place, get this knowledge to bring these into his plays? Right. So that's one thing, again, I mean, that's classist thing that she brings up. It's, it's consistent across all the people who, who, you know, attest that he's not the true author. Yeah. And she brings up that he wasn't educated past the age of 13, but you mentioned that there's no record. So I wonder where she granted she might be saying that for that time it was I I think for that time it was um, not very common for people of the class he was born into to maybe be schooled past that point because a lot of think about it 1500s you're you're working if you're from a working class family so but granted from the school in the area that he went no records for any student of that time appear to exist from the many articles that I have read. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that is an assumption based on the general education of the time where she's getting that number. Yeah, it might be. And, um, so she kind of uses the lack of records of him traveling and having these kind of experiences that, that would Mm -hmm. give him the knowledge to put this into his plays as proof that maybe he didn't write these things. But like we talked about already, there's not going to, there might not be great documentation for him traveling around. So, um, I guess at some point somebody must've found his will because she brings this into the article. Okay. I had heard that a lot of it was lost or all of it was lost. Well, she mentions that the fact that he didn't leave behind any books. Yep. That was a big thing or plays. Um, or musical instruments at all. He didn't leave behind any of these things. Then that kind of leads to maybe he will again, how would he have 
how would he have written these plays without having any books or musical instruments when that, especially because people thought, Oh, he taught himself. Like he read extensively in order to inform his work. I agree. That is really odd as someone who owns a many, a many book. Yeah. Okay. But, but think about the the publishing process of that time and what it takes to print a book, buy a book. And that's assuming that maybe he just, Gave the books to people outside of his will. I don't know. Donated them or left them part of his estate. Yeah. I mean, I, I Again, see, you're I drawing see that. on a lot of assumptions. I understand the, the, the reasoning, I guess the thought process behind that. But, but you're saying this is something that I assume would be a part of his effects. Yeah. Not something that is known. That's the thing is like, well, a writer should have books you know, that makes sense to, to us, but there's also a lot more nuance during that time about what you're reading, what you're writing, what you're distributing to other people. Like we mentioned, Christopher Marlowe could have been hung. He was asked, he was asked to go to court two weeks before his death for it. And that's the thing. You can't draw assumptions about somebody from the 1500s based off of what you think is reasonable now. Right. You know, yeah. You've got different boundary conditions. Right. Um, but so this is where the connection between Amelia Bassano and Shakespeare come in. So in her teens, she became the mistress of one Henry Carey or Lord Hunson Hunsden. Sorry. And he is the master of court of entertainment and and a patron of Shakespeare's acting company, actually. Oh. So that's how Shakespeare and her would have met. The point was brought up that Bassano, because she interacted in these higher circles, Mm -hmm. would have had the knowledge of maybe the courts. And um, apparently some people believe that she might have been Jewish and there's a lot of hmm. um, references to to Jewish people and Judaism in Shakespeare's works, I guess. Okay. Um, and also, she's f- originally from Italy. Yeah, I was going to say the last name sounds Italian. Yeah, so her family is from it- Italy, and her family were musicians and instrument makers. Why is that a thing? Because he's... It, was Shakespeare claiming, I'm just like curious why they keep pointing out that he didn't have musical instruments or well, anything. I think he, there was over 300 different musical instruments referenced in his works. So, I mean, music is a big okay. part of his writing. I okay. Think, was the argument there. Okay. There's also weird things in some of the plays that some of the naming of some of the characters. So there's a, in one of his plays is a character named Bessianus which was the original Roman name of Bassano del Grappa, or which was her family's hometown um, before they moved. Um, a different play of his, the romantic hero is a Venetian named Bassanio. Um, so there's stuff like that. And also he uses the name Amelia a lot in his plays too. Mm, okay. So that was part of the speculation of maybe, but again, maybe he just knew her well. Maybe like most writers, you draw from the people around you. Exactly. 
I would, um, I would, I think you would be hard pressed to find anybody who was like, Oh, everything's completely from my imagination. Because first off, that's bullshit. You write what you know. And if he knew her, then he would also have access to the upper class nobleman that she did. Right. Yeah. If he's running in those circles similar to her, then it, or, you know, he could talk to those people about those, about the courts. Another point that's brought up is that Bassano received a much better education than a, a common person would Yeah, at the time. That makes sense. Um, again, going back to kind of that classist kind of argument. Also, one of the, her relatives was the ambassador to Denmark by the, was appointed ambassador to Denmark by the queen. And hmm. they, he went to Denmark and I guess he went to the court at Elsinore, which is the setting of Hamlet. Oh. And um, also met with Tycho Brahe. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who was a Danish astronomer whose theories appeared or influenced in the play Hamlet as well. So there's, there's no proof that Amelia Bassano was on that trip, but the speculation is that maybe she was, and that's where she was exposed to some of this stuff. Okay. Um, so there are some compelling links actually. I mean, I mean, I like some of those are very, like the education and all that. Like I'm just kind of like meh, right? but those are very, I mean, I can see why people latch onto that. Also, um, the person that she was a mistress for or with, how do you say that? Um, just say she was doing it with, you know, anyways. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Henry Carey was the queen's cousin and had a lot of legal and military positions. So that's another argument of like, she would have been around a lot of kind of those settings where she would have been exposed to maybe some military um, knowledge and the legal knowledge and the knowledge of the courts and some of the aristocracy that Possibly. comes into his plays. Again, that one, we have no knowledge. That you have no, well, and it's also, it's assuming that a woman would be given a place at a, you know, yeah. or to have a part in that conversation. I feel like that yeah. would also be, still be kind of rare, even if you're around it. Well, I guess there is some evidence that she was favored by a lot of um, by actually the queen and some of the noblemen. Oh, she fancy. So, okay. So she's a fancy bitch. We got it. Yeah. All right. Good for but you, Amelia. At the we age love of, a strong woman. Yeah. But at the age of 23, she was expelled from court because she got pregnant and what? Yeah. Carrie gave her, how dare she, he gave Carrie gave her money and jewels for appearances sake, basically. And then married her off to another guy, Alfonso Lanier who was a court musician and a few months later she had her kid. Well, guess what? Shakespeare also knocked someone up, but he had the decency to marry her. Yeah. So there was another link where I guess in one of the early drafts of a play, there was a guy, a character named Alfonso that, that a name apparently disappeared later. She had some male relatives as well who were, musicians for the English court for like, and I guess this went on this line of musicians in their family went on for like 90 years in the English court, but they, Shit. they travel back to Northern Italy and there's record of her male relatives traveling back to Northern Italy as well. So again, 
people point to that and say, well, she might've had, you know, that deep knowledge of Italy. Right. And that's where some of the like Italian kind of settings and stuff come from right. in the plays. Um, there's also, I guess, a mural in her family's hometown that has a lot of similarities to a description in the play Othello. Mm -hmm. There's a passage in the play Othello that where they describe uh, a scene basically that, well, I guess mirrors what's on this mural really closely. And there was a shop in this square where the mural was located in this Italian town where it was an apothecary and the owner of that apothecary's name was Giovanni Otello. So there's speculation that that's where Othello comes from. So there are some like weird links, right? I mean, yeah, this This is definitely more compelling than Marlowe faking his death. Like, yeah. Well, and so it was also pointed out that Othello's plot came from an Italian text that at the time that at the time was not, had not been translated to English yet either. So it's like the plot is like almost the same. I, yeah, I guess that's what wow. they were saying. All right. Yeah. But that doesn't really, wouldn't that just make her a plagiarizer too? Well, I don't know if they were trying to insinuate that it was stolen or if it was like an influence on the play. Right. Okay. 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 Right. Right. Um, so, Again, a lot of this is kind of more circumstantial, I would say. And she, the author of this article actually even concedes at the end that the writing style of Bassano, because there are, she was a published author of poetry. Yeah. She said that her writing style has no resemblance to that of Shakespeare's. So it's, I think there's a lot of, again, a lot of leaps made in this. And, uh, like the, the whole, um, idea that maybe her family was Jewish. That's not confirmed. Right. Um, there's a lot of things like that. Again, there's a lot of interesting leaks, but I was reading, there's a lot of rebuttal articles to this that came oh, out. Oh, I'm sure it caused And I was a reading stir. through a lot of those and the actual Shakespearean scholars were just ripping this apart. Basically, even this one seems, um, harmless. Um, and, they brought up some good points. One of them is, so a lot of is made of the fact that Shakespeare never left England. Right. So how does he know about all these different places? Well, right. um, I mean, there were maps at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, and apparently he actually got some, he had, he had, there was some geographical errors in his plays like Bohemia or modern day Czech Republic, I guess. And one of his plays had a coastline, which, Czech Republic definitely is not on the coast. No, 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 no. There's stuff like that. Um, Maybe he just said fuck it and made his own world. Yeah. and He's a writer. Exactly. And they bring up that, you know, how the fact that people are saying, how could a commoner have written this stuff? And basically they're saying it's because it's harder to imagine maybe that a commoner wrote this stuff. So that's where all these theories came from. Like, oh, he couldn't have written this. I think that's where it all stems. I think it all stems from that classist bullshit. Yeah. But he was a famous actor, right? That he is was a, very well known. known fact. So he probably ran in some circles and heard a lot of stuff. 
especially and incorporated that into his writings. Yeah, he was performing in London yeah. at the Globe. And I mean, he was amongst the city essentially. So he probably knew Emilia Bassano personally, and I think I can't remember, but I think that he might have known some of her family too. So it's possible he traveled to that village with her. With, I, I with mean, them. again, that's again speculation. But if you're going to speculate that she was writing it. You, I think it's a less of a leap that maybe to speculate that he just traveled to that village at some point. Right. That's, I feel like the leaps that they're making, they're leaping over what I think is like more common sense of like, Oh, he knew Amelia. So obviously that means he stole her work rather than he knew Amelia. Maybe he, he was inspired to put her in his works Yeah, to put aspects of her life exactly. in, into character. Well, especially if she, she is a supposedly, the figure who was the inspiration for the black woman or the dark woman, the dark woman in his sonnets. He obviously, if that's, if that's a, an actual thing that some scholars believe, actual scholars believe, right. Then he must've had some intimate knowledge of her. Exactly. Right. I So agree. maybe she was a big figure in his life. Yeah. Maybe she was Mr. Singh with more. And than that probably wouldn't have been in any record. Right. Because he didn't keep journals. Yeah. Um, they also bring up that those centuries weren't known for expert record keeping. So again, a lot of these things that people are poking holes in, it's like, yeah, okay, but there wouldn't be record of that. Exactly. Right. Um, not just for Shakespeare, for many people in his same social standing. Yeah. Um, and apparently I found this really interesting. The literary education at that time, even for commoners was really rigorous. Yes, I saw I saw similar things. They learned Latin. Yeah. They learned Greek. So even if so even if somebody brings up that he only had an 8th grade education, right? They fit a lot in. That could mean a very different thing than what 8th grade education means now. And I'm sorry, there is a show today called Are You Smarter Than a 5th Grader and a lot of us aren't. Well, and here's the thing, pointing out that he has an 8th grade education, one, like I said is problematic because it means you're, you're assuming things. that that yeah the eighth grade education of today is what it was back then which obviously is not right think about the life expectancy yeah think about what two, they had to accomplish in shorter times two, think of how many famous scientists authors were self-taught after a certain point. musicians musicians yeah so you're making the assumption that because he didn't learn some one thing in school that he couldn't have gone out and had ambition to to kind of figure these things out on his own. And uh, I thought found this quote really funny. So this is by um, Stephen Marche, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, his quote was, among Shakespeare's scholars, the idea that Shakespeare wasn't the author of his works has roughly the same currency as the faked moon landing does among <laughs> astronauts. <laughs> so, so true. Uh, among actual Shakespeare scholars, this nobody believes this. There's no, nobody gives credence to these theories. Right. right. Um, and another thing going back to, um, the idea that because he wrote so insightfully about women that he couldn't have been a man. I, there's a really good George R. R. Martin quote. There was a guy who asked him, um, how do you write so insightfully about women? how do you write really, really well and, and differently than a lot of other offers? Where does that come from? And George R. R. Martin's reply was, you know, I've always just considered women to be people. 
Yeah. And I love that reply. That's an amazing response. Yeah, it is. And I think to like assume that just because you're a man or, or you're a woman and you can't, you couldn't write insightfully about the opposite sex. Isn't that what a good author does? Ideally it's, it's, it's approaching the character as like you said, a person and not like I, because you do run into authors who are like, I'm going to write this woman like a woman and it's right. so off and it's so cliche and it's, it's so inherently misogynistic and sexist in its attempts to not be like, there are some people like I might get flack for saying this, but like people love John green. He is an adult man and he writes a lot of books from a teenage girl perspective that I think are not accurate at all (laughs) because he writes them like they're a 30 year old man with quippy remarks and that they're, above everything that's fuck that I've been a teenage girl we suck (laughs) like there are things that people still don't get right yeah today and 400 years time difference doesn't really change that but like but there are still people that get it really right maybe the dude is just really empathetic and he he can understand other people's perspectives right I mean I don't know I I thought that that point was really really was like made me think really you can't you can't conceive of somebody who can think of somebody else's perspective and write about it right and same of people who look at female authors and be like they only write female driven stories and first off like that's not a bad thing but also they also write male characters just like men write women characters and like going back to the whole will thing just because he didn't include books in his will doesn't mean he didn't read i mean God forbid he just went to the library. Yeah. I guess also it was brought up that there were rec- there were records of Shakespeare writing. Fellow actors um, talked about it, I guess, in, in the first folio of Shakespeare's actual published works in 1623 um, with Shakespeare's name on the title page. Granted, he had passed at that point. Right. So there were people who knew him personally who were talking about him as a writer after his death. Right. And there are records of that. When they published his first folio. Yeah. So why would these people who knew him be lying for him after he's dead? And like 15 years after he died, it wasn't. Yeah. It it wasn't like they decided on a whim that they were going to capitalize on that. But so I, I think it's possible that Amelia Bassano was, an inspiration and probably likely was an inspiration for some of his plays. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where some of these connections come from. But in the end, I think Shakespeare probably was most likely the son of a Glover with an eighth grade education who could write insightfully about women. Right. That's probably what, I mean, that's it. I don't, I agree for me anyways, I got something a lot out of this because it was almost like a little, experiment into how people fall for conspiracy theories. Right. Cause you because can find yourself falling I, into it. I being from a science background, I see people believing in not necessarily flat earthers. Cause I don't actually know any. And I don't know if people actually take that seriously who are right. in it, but anti, the anti-vax movement, climate deniers, um, anti GMO, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I look at that and I'm like, how the fuck can you believe any of this? Mm hmm. I mean, to me, you've got to be a complete idiot to not to have all this evidence in front of you from actual scientists 
mm-hmm. and believe somebody who has no qualifications. Someone wrote a Facebook post, therefore it's true. Type of thing. But here's the thing though. If you don't know, if you don't have the background knowledge and you don't know which sources to believe, you can easily fall into that trap because that's exactly what happened with me. I read that article and I was like, holy shit, so much of this makes sense. Oh my God. Right. Maybe Shakespeare is a woman, right? And then I go do further research, which is what any responsible person should do Mm -hmm. and read from actual Shakespearean scholars. And they're like, no, this is complete bullshit. So that was really informative for me of like, wow, that is, you know, it made me second guess like, well, and we're also living in a world where people read headlines and assume that they know the whole story. Well, I read the entire article, but it was in the Atlantic. I thought that was like a reputable source, a reputable like publication, right? I mean, yes, but there's still biases. There's still, there's still the idea of like you have to sell and you have to get the clicks. I guess maybe their thought was it's not harming anybody because you're talking about a conspiracy theory about Shakespeare. So it doesn't really matter, but I get, I get the frustration of the actual Shakespearean scholars on this because. Right. Well, and I was, it is dangerous. It is a dangerous thing to fall into. Yeah. Because if you, if you can buy that reasoning for that argument and not do any further research and actually think that as fact, what else could you believe? I think we need to focus more on teaching people how to seek out sources from people who are literate and seek out their opinions. Right. right? It's more, it's not so much about teaching them everything because you can't, it's more about how to, um, read it's translate and research and follow up on information that you find. It's being able to discern somebody who knows what they're talking about from somebody who does. Exactly. It's knowing who is the source and who is just your aunt Karen writing about how climate change isn't real. Right. This went to a place that I wasn't expecting. Well, I I wasn't expecting to go to this place either actually, but this is kind of just where it led to for me. Well, and I got the same feeling. I was like, this is going to be a fun episode to talk about like absurd conspiracy theories. But the more that you get into it, the more you're like, this is, this is wrong and it can be damaging to, to people who believe it. I'm, there is a trend of people like, like bucking against expertise as some like bad thing. It's like, no people or are some sort of trickery. For, yeah. People are, are experts in their field. They are actually experts and your two hours of research online into something is not going to trump that. No, if it could, they wouldn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars no of grad than, school yeah. debt. You know, you don't just invest in that kind of education. So uh, it definitely like, it was interesting cause I, I, I did think it was really interesting reading into the, some of these conspiracy theories. And I will say, I mean, the article I read that was talking about Shakespeare being a woman was really compelling. Again, it was pro- pretty well written. Even so a lot of the facts were cherry picked and right. Y- you know, it did its job well in the sense that it, it, I think it probably could convince somebody. Do you somebody. know what she is? She's a good writer. That doesn't mean that she's a good researcher or. Right. Exactly. This exactly. Is all comes down to we're reading people's she wrote, writing. she wrote an article trying to convince people that maybe Shakespeare is a woman. And I think she did that well with the caveat that 
she did it well for people who don't have the background knowledge. Right. She wasn't addressing the scholars. No. She, she was addressing, she knew her audience. Exactly. Like anyone who's writing these Which things. is a very dangerous game to And play, some people in, in that audience were Supreme Court fucking justices. I know. It blows my mind. And that's very scary to me that a Supreme Court justice could believe Their a conspiracy theory like that. Their are to research and research right. and research then, as lawyers. Again, coming back to that point, what else? Could they be led to believe? Would, yeah, exactly. Well- Thanks for listening to our uh, conspiracy episode. Yeah, we kind of kind of went all over the place and yeah. touched on a lot of stuff, but I I thought it was a lot of fun, and Definitely. I'm glad that we sat down and did it. Definitely something a little bit different for our footnotes. So, absolutely, a little yeah. bit. If you if you like something like this where we dive really really deep into authors, I know we've touched a lot on like other movies and remakes and things and footnote episodes, but this is something you'd want us to do let us know yeah a little bit more you can let us know yeah you can email us yep source material pod at gmail.com um on all of our social media we have we have facebook and instagram at source material pod and twitter at source map pod where you can write in suggestions um keep up with kind of what we're reading and doing behind the scenes things like that yeah. And you can also, we would really appreciate if you'd leave us a review on iTunes or on Spotify. Yeah, definitely. Uh, click subscribe. We'll show up in your, your feed. Um, we're also on Stitcher and Google play. So got some exciting stuff coming up. So we do subscribe, keep listening, keep an eye out. Yes. Wait for exciting things to come. But yeah. Thanks for listening. And, uh, until next time, until next time. Until next time.